0: Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this podcast.
1: Hello listeners, and welcome to D-Bear's European Securitization Insights Podcast. My name is Madhasa Chaudhary, Head of European Structure Finance Research here in London, and along with my colleagues, bringing you a variety of insights related to securitization markets. Today, I'm joined by Christian Offsets, Head of European Structured Finance, and Rihanna Major, Senior Vice President in the European RMBS team, both based in our London office. This is the second episode in our two-part series talking about climate change and how it impacts credit. Today, we will specifically be talking about European securitization markets and climate change impact. So Christian, when thinking about climate, What are you focusing on in a European structured finance?
2: Yeah, uh, Mudassa, starting again with the physical climate risk. Um, We have been working with a third party provider, which is able for uh, real estate based on a property geolocation, the past weather data and various climate or weather models, which is very, very uh, deep science um, uh, area in itself. Um, So they're able to provide adverse weather and other climate related risk event, expected value losses for real estate. It sounds like very funky, but basically means what is the expectation? How much the property might lose in value due to uninsured um, weather or climate events, Um, which are different events like flooding, um, hurricanes, um, et cetera um they're able to provide that over various time horizons and we discuss time horizons um, can look at it over five years 10 years um, 30 years or what they call um uh, short term still 50 years and they can also provide it in different climate change pathways and we being structured finance analysts what we really like are tail losses which are stressed estimates which says okay um in in a very low likelihood it would exceed X percent. So we've been looking into that and finding so far are, and not surprising on what we had saying uh, so far, that actually on average for the next 10 to 15 years, the expected losses due to adverse um, climate or weather events are in the low uh, single digit area and actually not substantially higher than they have been in the last decade. Um, But indeed, Nevertheless, very um, interesting findings. Analytically, you also need to think about that um, in property-related asset classes, such losses still tend to be insured. So, um, which means that ultimately, when you look at RMBS or CMBS, um, given the insurance, um, the credit relevance is uh, really, really minor. Uh, We're obviously monitoring whether insurance will be still available over the next few years. Um, but coming back to these expected losses, as said, uh, we looked at different time horizons. They then really start to diverge based on the climate change pathways, again, from mid-century onwards. So um, we look into that um, and there will be more to come from our side in regarding this analysis. But um, when looking again at physical climate risk, it's interesting to see how different these expected losses can be at regional and even down to street level. Uh, Because in the end, what matters even more than usually with properties, it's the location. So um, for example, the risk of flooding depends on the topography and a property in the same street as a second property might be further up the hill. And obviously this property has less risk of flooding than the, um, the other one, which is lower down the road. Um, it also depends on when you think about river flooding highly on which side of the river is the property on because the water goes one certain direction, so there might be 200 meters apart, but have a different uh, physical climate risk um, assessment. Um, what we also learned is that we all talk about coastal areas. Um, might be long term affected by rising sea levels. But if you have a coastal area and you define it as within the country, a certain region, it doesn't mean the entire region is affected. And usually, um, once you are two kilometers away from the coast, you're not so much affected by, um, by rising sea levels, or there might be, like in the Netherlands, a dam in between. So it's really um, um, the geolocation is crucially important. And that then raises the question how correct are actually regional estimates? for example, at the NUTS-3 level. Um, One needs as much granular data as possible to make a detailed analysis. And in the consumer asset classes like RMBS, we don't usually get the exact address uh, because there's also data protection laws um, to keep in mind. CMBS is a different story. We usually have the address and we're looking um, into that. Um, Other interesting findings we saw when we worked with the data provider is that um, Wildfire, for example, Um, within a country, wildfires are more prevalent in in the rural areas. Uh, When you think about our securitized exposure, that's usually in urban centers. So you might have a country which is prone to wildfires due to climate change, but a property in the the middle of the biggest city in that country doesn't have uh, necessarily wildfire risk um, one other finding we found is that, for example, in the UK, um, historically, what is the main physical climate change risk? Floods. Um, over the next decade, given the global warming, um, actually what is happening is getting warmer and floods are expected to be less than before. And in the UK, the main risk, as we have seen uh, last year, related to um, warmer climate are droughts. And unless you then afterwards have a spring flood, which can happen, um, very dry weather is not adverse for property values. So, um, which means if you think it further, uh, the risk actually for the next decade in the UK appears to be slightly less than it was in the last decade because it's a more moderate or slightly warmer climate with less rain. However, even in the UK, when you look in the longer run, um, there's still um, a negative impact to be expected if the climate gets more warmer. One of which, as we also have seen last year, fires, so, um, uh, which come with uh, warmer weather. But all very, very interesting to see. Um, <clears throat> so we, we're still working on towards providing investors with more details on such physical climate risk considerations. Um, in RMBS and CMBS and we currently intend to do so even if they might not immediately be quite relevant but we think that investors uh, might find such information um, very interesting and now um, Rihanna if you working in RMBS want to comment on uh, transitional climate risk and what we you think about that
0: yeah we've also been looking at um Energy performance certificates, EPC ratings and how they affect property values. The rating provides information about the energy efficiency of a property based on a scale from A to G. A high EPC rating indicates a more energy efficient property which is generally desirable as they tend to have lower energy bills and a reduced impact on the environment. This could make properties more attractive to the market and as a result they may command a higher price or rents compared to similar properties. In some jurisdictions we are seeing that there may be legal requirements that make it mandatory for properties to meet certain energy efficiency standards, which can impact property values in the UK. For example, in 2025 the minimum EPC rating for all new tenancies will be a rating of C or above. For existing tenancies, this will be from 2028. We do, however, have a number of hurdles to surpass before we can incorporate this into our methodologies. Firstly, while the logic may follow that house prices should be affected by EPC ratings, that data is only just emerging, and it's not yet sufficient enough for us to be know with any certainty that this follows in all instances, nor if value differences occur at consistent magnitude. Additionally, EPC ratings do not all mean the same. There is a lack of granularity in EPC statistics and there's little room for comparison across jurisdictions due to insufficient data collection, a lack of compliance in differing EPC definitions and calculation techniques. We talked a lot about property values, but we'd also like to look further at the relationship between probabilities of default and EPC ratings. However, in order to do any meaningful analysis, we would need loans, we'd need a a loan's credit performance over the last five to 10 years, which we have or is available from lenders or services, but also the relevant EPC data. With the EPC ratings not being a mandatory field within low-level templates, it's challenging to collect and then analyse analyzes data to determine what trends are emerging. Overall, we think there is a positive correlation on property values, at least in the UK, where we have more data available. Potentially in Europe also. We're looking at it, but we need more data and we need more consistent data.
2: And then uh, on the CMBS side, which is, from analytical standpoint, um, it's a more concentrated asset class, so which allows really for detailed property by property analysis. Um, we have started to consider the carbon intensity, uh, especially in the office office sector. And here, I think one of the um, transitional risks element um, comes already very visible. Um, office sector: if you have a great office property, you want to have blue chip tenants. Um, And these blue chip tenants have signed up to net zero in the Western world. And given that their office space is one of the biggest uh, carbon intensity of their business, they're demanding properties which are net zero. Which means that uh, we started to ask the question how landlords plans to make especially office properties energy efficient, um, which all as equal results in either increased CapEx assumptions um, i.e. higher costs that are exactly the transitional costs we have been mentioning, or if the landlord doesn't plan to do anything, we might um, haircut the value because we think that in the next years, this type of um, energy efficiency credential will become a clear price driver. And that's also um, a transitional cost because it's a secular trend towards tenants not wanting um carbon intensive office space anymore. So that's one example um, where we have started um, to look into it. And we also published um, a research report um, where we actually say that in the current volatile office market environment, given hybrid working and all that, uh, we would expect a relative outperformance of properties that are already net zero and or highly um, energy efficient um, today. And, on the other side of the equation there is a risk of having quite substantial amount of stranded assets in the next 10 to 20 years which are the very carbon intensive offices or even other property types which are not in demand anymore given that tenants do not want a carbon footprint
1: thank you christian and Rehana is green or brown assets are they credit positively Correlated meaning is green stuff uh, better credit-wise and vice versa.
0: Um, well, generally in real estate markets, we're seeing and we're looking for, and looking forward. We expect to see a demand for green properties to be higher f- f- uh, than for buildings that that do not meet certain environmental and social standards. That will result in a green premium, which is driven by benefits such as lower operating costs and improved property stocks. However, the value of buildings not in line with current environmental or sustainability standards may face challenges in terms of value, market demand or future viability, thus attracting a brown discount. In a recent commentary that we published, we concluded that a non compliant property's fall in value will likely have a greater impact than a climb, uh, compliant property's increased market and rental value.
2: And then uh, in other asset classes like uh, auto ABS, it's actually uh, somewhat less clear whether environmentally friendly vehicles, which are clearly uh, greener, also have better value credentials. So looking at um, EVs, um the past few years the value of um, electric vehicles actually appears to be more volatile so they went more up in 2021 than the diesel and petrol counterparts but they also went down more in 2022 not yet clear whether that is a tesla driven effect but generally higher volatility is typically credit um, and which would if confirmed be one example where environmentally friendly is not credit positive. But the jury here is still out. Um, what's also not yet clear on the in the outer side is to what extent depreciation curves might differ from those we know for uh, petrol and diesel cars. Um, because we need to consider the speed of innovation. Um, my iPhone tends to be um, always only 30% of the initial value after three years. Um, there's outdating of technologies. There might be new technologies on the battery side. And it's also not yet fully clear whether electric cars or other energy um, sources or um, energy fuel types will be the ultimate um, future. So, and such uncertainty in itself is also not per se credit positive. I would stress though, we are currently not penalizing for electric vehicles is just an example, Um, it's not yet fully clear. Um, So we have not done uh, any adjustments on the loss side um, for electric cars, but we did it actually the other way around. Uh, We adjusted for uh, diesel cars. So uh, we have seen one or two instances where you had the situation of a large proportion of diesel, older models of diesel, so not uh, in line with with the latest um, uh, standards of the EU or the UK, combined with long loan or lease terms. And here we thought that there is a higher transitional risk, given that over the loan uh, horizon, uh, regulation could increase and could potentially be harmful for future values of exactly these type of diesel cars. So we penalized for it. and um, that is an example of something brown being credit negative. And obviously, Mudasa, you've written about it yourself uh, what is SPOs versus uh, credit relevance? Uh, obviously, an auto ABS with mostly diesel doesn't get a green SPO or a second party opinion, and something like a brown SPO doesn't exist. But that is something where, uh, in our view, transitional climate risk is credit negative. But I also want to um, point out, so, so far, and I have discussed the impact of climate change, what it could have on asset values, like properties or cars in the future. Um, But the other question is actually whether loans, which are backed by energy efficient assets, have a lower default risk. So more the default risk side of the the equation. And here, uh, one needs to be very careful about the cause and the effect. So we have indeed seen some auto ABS data that showed lower default risk um, for the loans which were backed by electric or hybrid cars. Um, So we looked at it in more detail, um, thought about it some more, and we came to to the conclusion that these loans are usually backed by relatively more expensive cars because electric cars are more expensive than uh, diesel or petrol currently. And we also saw different data that irrespective of the fuel type, loans that are backed by higher value cars show lower default rates, which means we concluded that the lower default rates for the electric cars was not driven by the fuel type. Um, We also considered that fuel type was not part of the originator underwriting criteria, so they also didn't really differentiate. It was rather due to the borrower type, so um, which, the borrowers which can afford a higher value vehicle. Now, to spin it further, one could actually argue, why is that not a social factor? So uh, maybe it's exactly the borrowers which are well off, which can bother to think about an electric car. Um, might well be, but we decided that is, uh, as of now, still unresearched territory, um, but, would be one of the uh, explanations for the future. So had we rated the transaction, which um, then uh, we looked the data from, which was 100% electric and hybrid um, collateral, um, it would likely not have had any credit relevant environmental or social factor, um, despite in the market it was um, regarded as green. Um, The example shows my view on the one hand, the difference between sustainability and credit relevance of sustainability, but it also shows uh, given the data we have seen that there can be a spurious correlation and one always needs to consider what exactly causes the better or worse credit performance. And in this case, it was higher valued vehicle, but it could have also been a higher valued petrol vehicle and um, not necessarily electric vehicle. And I think you've seen something similar in, in RBS real. Well, right?
0: Yep, we've had a very similar experience to Auto ABS. So we've rated a few transactions, specifically in Netherlands, where the interest rate on loan product decreases if the property's energy efficiency is raised. And we came to a very similar conclusion as you did in Auto ABS, Christian, where it wasn't the asset profile that impacted the probability of default calculations, but rather the borrower's affordability. In this case, for the Jubilee Place 4 and the Jubilee Place 5 transactions, the lower interest rate had a positive impact on our default assumptions. I would note though, there is a balance to be had here. Um, While decreased interest rates can have a positive effect on affordability and thus credit numbers, there is a point whereby the ratings of the bonds can be negatively impacted. Loans resetting at a lower interest rate reduces the weighted average available spread, which in turn reduces the issuer's ability, uh, the issuer's available funds, and consequent- consequently, its ability to make interest payments on the bonds.
1: And that's it from us. If you have any questions or any particular topic you would like us to cover in future, feel free to get in touch. I hope you liked what you heard. And if you did leave us a review and follow the podcast series. So you don't miss any episodes.
0: Specific reports mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes. For individual analyst details and the latest research and commentary from DBRS Morningstar, please visit dbismorningstar.com. By downloading and listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to the DBIS Morningstar disclaimer and legal terms and conditions found at dbismorningstar.com forward slash about forward slash disclaimer and dbismorningstar.com forward slash about forward slash terms and conditions, including that the information provided is not investment, financial or other advice. DBIS Morningstar will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information Please note that the content of this podcast is intended for European audiences only.